God, what a day we had yesterday. What a day. What a night. Individual performances. Man. Hey, welcome. It is. Don't at me. I am Dan Dockich, and we've got Ryan, and we've got Dylan. We've got a monster for you. That's right. I'm wearing the Elon Phoenix shirt today. Not only does it compliment my burnt-ass bald head because I forgot to wear a hat, but the Elon Phoenix are hot as hell, ladies and gentlemen. They are. And you're going to be liking them coming up in about a week. A week from right now, you are going to be digging on the Elon Phoenix starring the great Andrew Dockage. A uh, couple things. Did you see Art Bryles is no longer at Grambling? I have a good friend went to Grambling, and he was pissed when they hired Bryles. He went out, wrote letters. Uh, his name is Reggie Jones, and Reggie don't want him there. Grambling people don't want Art Bryles there. Guess what? Art Bryles no longer there. Now, if you read Clay Travis's account of it, go to OutKick and read Clay's account. If you read what Clay has to say, and he's done some in-depth reporting on it, Art Bryles getting screwed here. Now, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not. I do have a tendency to believe what Clay writes. So, you know what? This is an interesting story, man. When people want your ass canceled, they keep you canceled. And I would like just one time, one time, a guy like Art Bryles to say, hey, F you. If, in fact, he made no mistakes. Now, if he made mistakes and and they were egregious, you know, covering up rape and those kind of things. But when you read what Clay had to to write, and apparently Clay did a lot of information on it, I'm not so sure that Art Bryles did what everybody is saying he did. I'm not saying he didn't, and I'm not defending him. I'm just telling you, how about we look at both sides once in a while? Now, if he don't want to go through it, Hugh Jackson doesn't want to go through it, and a lot of interesting stuff on Hugh Jackson relative to his foundation, then that's fine. But I'm just telling you, I would be interested in your thoughts if you looked at both sides of it, and Clay has an interesting piece. I don't know. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I just, I, the whole thing disgusts me. Run your program like a human being. That's all. Run your program like a human being. Don't cover things up. Get decent people in there, and away you go. I mean, you know, pretty much it. And why the hell is our president walking across a field? And by the way, not a great look in how he's walking. But why is he walking across a field with no one around with a damn mask on? Like, what the hell are we doing? I will vote for you. I'm telling you right now. If you are a politician, I will vote for you if you're just a freaking human being. You're not a phony ass. You're not somebody that's trying to just be a normal human being. Trump, as a businessman, probably a great president. I don't know, but not a great human being. Just be a human being. You don't have to walk across a field. Did you see the picture? You don't have to walk across the field with a mask on. Ain't nobody in this country following you. We all know. Take the mask off when you're in the middle of a field. I swear to you. All you guys out there, Sean Black and the rest of you that are on my YouTube chat, I swear to you, I'll vote for you for president. If you're just a freaking human being, just be people. That's all. Just be people. We don't have to have, well, I got to walk across the field because the American, shut up. Son of a bitch, it pisses me off. I've had enough. Just be people. Man, all right. I saw that picture yesterday, and I'm like, Jesus. Like, what are we doing? You know the picture I'm talking about? I, I, if I was smart enough, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get it to uh, 
Dylan, and we'll put it up, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But son of a – like Biden is walking across a field by himself with a mask. Like nobody around. Nobody. Here. I don't know who it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of the uh, – here he is. Here's our guy. Walking across a field in a mask. There's nobody around. Like, there ain't five people in this country that are following this guy. His lead on anything. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, you telling me you want to raise a kid like Hunter Biden? Are you out of your mind? We're not following this guy. So just be people. Don't try to bullshit us. Drive you nuts. Jeez, it does. All right, last night we had a nice night of hoops. Ooh, did UNC need a win over the Cuse, baby? The Cuse was up late. Joe Girard hit a shot, sent it to overtime. Caleb Young, my God. If you want to see clutch shooting in basketball, Caleb Young last night was on fire late. Only hit a couple, but they were massive. Caleb Young was the man last night, even though his numbers weren't great. 12, 14 points, nothing great. There were a lot of great performances last night. But my God, Caleb Young in the clutch last night was dynamite. I mean dynamite. All right, you want a performance? I'll give you a performance. Baylor, the number five team in the country in women, took on Iowa State, the number eight team in country in women. Now, this was supposed to be a big-time game, big-time environment at Iowa State. This was supposed to be a marquee game. Well, uh-uh. I want to say her name right. N-A-L-Y-S-S-A. Nalisa Smith said no. No. Nay, nay, Nanook. No. Oh, hell no. She dropped 28 and 20. Now think about this. She dropped 28 and 20 on the number eight team in the country. 28 and 20. Um, In this game that has number five against number eight, the number five team won by 25 points, 87-62. And I watched some of it. And I got to tell you, it wasn't that close. It, It wasn't. That was a hell of a performance. You know, for a guy that's supposed to be a misogynist, I don't do it right. I, I, don't, I don't do it right. I'm too into women's sports. I love women's sports. I love women. But I know, I know I'm a misogynist, according to some clowns. But I got to tell you, man, she was dynamite last night. Uh, the Bulls in the Heat was supposed to be a good game. The Bulls in the Heat was supposed to be something where, all right, you know, this is a statement game. There's no such thing as a statement game in the NBA. There's none. Because you never know what guys are doing in the middle of the season the night before the game. You just don't. I'm sorry. You may think it's a statement game. Everybody else just thinks it's a game. I mean, truthfully, that's how it goes in the NBA. If this was a statement game, then uh, the Heat are way better than the Bulls. I mean, can we just say that? And I'm going to get into some top performances last night, and it's going to include a guy from the Heat that I got to tell you, I never heard of in college. I never heard of in the NBA. I never heard until last night. But the Bulls were up, excuse me, the Heat were up 16 early. The Heat never even looked back. The Heat played harder. The Heat were smarter. 
The Heat hustled more. The Heat defended. The Heat did everything that you want. And frankly, uh, the Bulls had nothing except they got out of the way when guys were coming down the lane for the Heat lest they get dunked on. But this was never a game. And don't even for a second ever think that there is a, well, this is a statement game, not in the NBA. There's so many games. I'm telling you, half the Bulls may not have even known they were playing the Heat. Now, DeMar DeRozan only had 18 points. DeMar DeRozan got shut out. The Heat beat the living hell out of them. And that's all there is to it. But the point is more so on a statement game. Let me go back to something last night. Let me just go back uh, real quick to a game, North Carolina and Syracuse. I'm not going to lie to you. I really like Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim's one of my favorite coaches. I'm, I'm going to get Jim on next week on this show. I really like Jim Beheim, And I really want Jim Beheim to go to the NCAA tournament. Here's why I like Jim Beheim. I like Jim Beheim because he's like you or me. He's coached 46 years in the same spot, which is not what I did. But Jim Beheim loves sports. Like, I'll give you a little insight into Jim Beheim. When you walk into his office before a game, and his office is literally the size of this table, he's got this little room off the training room and a TV that reminds you of your mom and dad's on the kitchen counter that big. He's watching some sport. He may be watching, I don't know, Iowa State against Baylor men, Iowa State against Baylor women. He may be watching Shawnee State against uh, Center College. I don't know. But he's watching sports. I'm telling you, I know the perception of Jim Beheim sometimes isn't the best, but Jim Beheim to me is a guy's guy that you would really like. That's it. That's my public service announcement. Uh, last night, the Bruins and the Kings. Now, anybody that knows me knows that I was one of the great all-time on Joe Pavlik's Pond in Merrillville, Indiana. Meadowdale was the neighborhood. One of the great hockey players of all time. The stick handling exquisite. The backhand sharp. The, forehead, the, the slap shot. Bobby Hall-esque. And anybody knows who Bobby Hull is knows that the uh, Golden Rocket or whatever the hell he was called, well, frankly, he had the hardest slap shot in the business. Now, everybody understands that I am, when it comes to hockey, uh, arguably the most underrated player in the history of hockey. Should have played. But last night, the Bruins went into L.A. and played the Kings. Now, last let me give you some records here because this doesn't happen all the time. The Bruins were 31-17-4. and the Kings were 28, excuse me, 29, 17, and 7. So basically, other than a few ties, they're the same team. This rarely happens. So you go in there on the road, you go into Crypto.com Arena in LA, guess what? 7-zip. When's the last time you saw a 7-zip score in hockey? I'm waiting. No, no, I got time. Seven zip. Now, you all may be Googling it, but I got to tell you, I don't know when I saw a seven zip. In Milan's Tap, in Gary, Indiana, 
Every time you went in there on 51st and Broadway, every time you went in there, a couple things. Number one, you had a buzz to get in because I don't even know why. But every place there, you had a buzz to get in. Liquor store, you had a buzz to get in. They had to eyeball you. Ah, no, go. Yeah, you can come in. (laughs) True story. I don't think I ever saw anybody ever. No. I did see two guys that had been shot up come in there when my boy Kevin Custer and I were just hanging out. And Marty behind the bar pulled a gun on him. It was insane. Uh, I think the two guys got shot later on. They were across the street. There were two body bags. But that's a story for a different time. But in Milan's tap, in Gary, Indiana, they had a 13-run pool. So the White Sox, it was the south side of Chicago place. The White Sox, you had the White Sox every night. You had the Cubs every night. Team score, if you came in, you paid some money, you got in a 13-run pool for the night. White Sox, Cubs, or their opponents, somebody gets 13. Actually, across Major League Baseball, you win some money. Some of you probably have been in a 13-run pool, those of you that have actually lived outside of southern Indiana. But the truth of the matter is, a seven-goal pool? Raise your hand if you've ever seen a seven-goal pool. We should have had a seven-goal pool last night. I'm telling you. I've never seen it before. I never have seen it. And if you go to Twitter... My Twitter is telling you, best hockey players of all time, one, A, Wayne Gretzky, two, what has two thumbs and is a great street hockey player? This guy. That's right. i never seen seven to zip. Well, anyway, long story short, the Bruins went into L.A., and when I say beat the shit out of them, that's what I'm saying. They beat the living you-know-what out of them. Speaking of beat the living you-know-what out of them, we had some great performances last night. I mean, we had great ones. Not good ones. Not kind of good ones. We had great ones last night. No kidding. I don't know if you guys know the name Keegan Murray of Iowa. I know my dudes on the YouTube chat do. Because my guys on the YouTube chat, they know everything. They know absolutely everything. There's nothing on the YouTube chat these guys don't know. But Keegan Murray from Iowa... Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, they're the two front runners, I think, for Big Ten Player of the Year, and in both cases will be top, I think, first-team All-Americans. Now, Keegan Murray from Iowa, and I'm trying to get to the YouTube chat to see what my boys are up to, but Keegan Murray from Iowa last night against Northwestern, which means it is in a Big Ten game, dropped, listen to this, 28-18-3. 18 and three. Now last year, Keegan uh, Murray, I don't know what he averaged, maybe 10, 12. I don't even know. But Keegan Murray last night, his dad, Kenyon Murray, was a hell of a player at Iowa, a wing runner. I remember trying to recruit him. This dude dropped 26, 18, and three. That's a hell of a performance. I mean, who are we crapping? That was one hell of a performance. All I know is this. All I know is I love stories like Keegan Murray. I love stories like Keegan Murray because Keegan Murray was not a highly sought-after recruit. Keegan Murray was not one of those guys that said, hey, I got to have cash. Like, I don't think Fran Frischella did the old Mike Krzyzewski and had to check out the financial records of Keegan Murray before he recruited him. 
Like, I don't think, and again, this may just be alleged, but I was told by certain ESPNers that Marvin Bagley Jr.'s family lived in a gated community somewhere around Durham when Marvin Bagley Jr. was playing at Duke. I don't think Franny Frischella had to do all that to get Keegan Murray. But I'm telling you, Keegan Murray's a badass. I am all in on Keegan Murray. Isn't it a little disgusting? Let's just go. Let me digress for one second. Stay with me here. Like, isn't it a little disgusting, just a little bit to you, that you got Duke, right? The number one program in the world. The greatest coach of all time. And you're going to get it ad nauseum here. Some guy spent a million dollars for four tickets to the Duke-Carolina game, Mike Krzyzewski's last home game coming up on Saturday. A million dollars. This is the bastion of college basketball, right? This is the pinnacle. Duke, the brotherhood, all these sanctimonious pricks on TV telling you how great they are and how they should reinvent the game and all this stuff, right? I mean, there's TV guys from Duke across the board. I mean, Kenny Denard was a guy that I idolized. What a sanctimonious prick he is, allegedly, on Twitter anyway. I mean, I'm just telling you. You got all these, oh, we're better than you. Yeah, you're better. You're good. But the truth of the matter is, guess what? Guess what? You had to check out a guy's financial records, a high school kid's financial records. And you're the epitome. How about winning with guys whose records you don't have to check out? How about winning with finan- without having to check out a recruit's financial records? That's why I tell you, Bob Knight's the greatest coach of all time in college basketball. I-, I don't give a damn what anybody says. I'm sliding a little off topic here. But the truth of the matter is, holy cow. We got to check out financial records. Oh, we're the greatest coach ever. Yeah, how about doing it without doing that? It just drives me nuts. Yeah, Fran McCaffrey. I'm sorry, Sean Black. Not Fran Fraschilla. Fran McCaffrey. What's wrong with me? All right, we are going to get some John Morant love here, Anderson. Let me explain this to you. Now we're going to Gabe Vincent. Raise your hand if you have any idea who Gabe Vincent is. No idea. I had none. Well, I talked earlier about, didn't I talk about the Heat against the Bulls? All right. So the Heat played the Bulls. And last night, the Heat playing the Bulls, the Heat beat the living hell out of the Bulls. All right. They beat them. They beat them bad. They beat them all day. Well, one of the reasons they beat them was because some dude named Gabe Vincent went off-ish. Gabe Vincent, listen to this, all right? This is why I love Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent is 25 years old. Gabe played for the Santa Barbara Gauchos. He graduated in 2008. He then went to the Stockton Kings. He's a Nigerian kid who played on the Nigerian national team. So now, all of a sudden, uh, they, they being the Heat, decide, hey, look, we're going to give Gabe Vincent a chance because he's earned it. And this is why I like the Heat. 
So they give this guy, Gabe Vincent, a chance. You know what he does last night? Plays 33 minutes against the Bulls. He scores 20 points, hits four threes, three assists, couple steals, plays his ass off. I mean, he's playing. He's playing hard. He's rocking. He's rolling. And the truth of the matter is, I never heard of him. I I think I hear of people. I feel like I've heard of people. I feel like I follow college basketball. But I got to tell you, I ain't never heard of no Gabe Vincent. Well, guess what? I have now. I'm going to follow Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent to me, what the hell? It's a great story. I love great stories. He's the opposite of a sanctimonious prick. He's a dude. Yeah, he is. Oh, man. Nalisa Smith. Woo! Those of you that don't know, you will know, as they say in the movies. If you don't know, you will know who this woman is. She is a badass. Hey, look, I'm not saying she's Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner was six foot eleven. Like, ah, she wasn't 6'11", but you know what I'm saying. This girl's big and strong, and man, can she ball. 28 and 20 last night. And as I said earlier, this was supposed to be a game. This was number five against number eight. It didn't turn out that way. Number five against number eight. Number five killed him. And I got to tell you, I flipped the channel, and I started watching Naisa Smith. Woo-hoo! I couldn't stop. An American badass. That's what she is. Yep. An American badass. Yeah. I couldn't stop watching. I'm not going to lie. There are certain games I just can't stop watching sometimes. And last night, it was not the Pacers and the uh, Magic. Uh, It was Iowa State and freaking Baylor. And Baylor's Naisa Smith. Wow. She good. Now, somebody's going to say, well, Dan, you're saying her name wrong. If you really watch the broadcast, I don't watch games with with the sound on. I've told my people this forever. I don't watch games with the sound up. I watch games with the sound down. So somebody may say, hey, this guy's a great announcer. I wouldn't know. This guy may say, well, this is happening that I wouldn't know. I I don't watch. I've always watched the games with the sound down going back to when Bob Knight and I used to sit in, the, in, in this little room and watch games or watch uh, tape with the sound off and Denise Austin shows would come on ESPN2. What do I know? All right, let's continue. Scotty Barnes last night. Remember Scotty Barnes? Remember Scotty Barnes out of Florida State? Was he the Florida State guy? Yeah. There's Scotty Lewis and Scotty Barnes, one at Florida, one at Florida State. But Scotty Barnes is at Florida State. Scotty Barnes is a rookie. I think Scotty Barnes is terrific. I do. I think Scotty Barnes is absolutely fantastic. Scotty Barnes last night uh, for the Raptors, listen to this, against the Nets. Now, aren't the Nets supposed to be good? What are the Nets? I'm going to ask Frank Isola coming up here at 10 o'clock. What the hell are the Nets? Anyway. Scotty Barnes drops 28. He goes 12 for 14 against the Nets. He gets 16 rebounds against the Nets. Now, last I looked, everybody's telling me how good the Nets are. I know they're injured. I know Durant is out. I know Kyrie Irving is waiting on the mayor. I get it. But I got to ask you, Scotty Barnes just killed you last night with 28 and 16. 
I mean, he smoked, shot 12 of 14. Most guys and gals can't shoot 12 of 14 in a locked gym with nobody there. But Scotty Barnes just did it in an NBA game as a rookie. It's a badass. Mine's a little myself. All right, last and not least. I mean, what, what? The first time I ever heard of John Morant was Seth Greenberg told me about John Morant. Seth Greenberg is the smartest guy on your television. He is the opposite of a sanctimonious prick. He is the best dude ever. And when Seth Greenberg says it, I don't always agree with it, but I pay attention to it. So Seth Greenberg is telling a few years ago all of the ESPN college basketball guys, including myself, of this kid at Murray State named John Morant. So he convinces ESPN to go down there and do a game. He goes down there, does a game, comes back, and he tells me, he goes, hey, Dan, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you, John Morant's the best player in the country. If I had the first pick, and I don't know who was picked, probably Zion. Maybe he, maybe he was the second best player. I can't remember. Maybe Zion was the best, all right? But the truth of the matter is, I remember him saying, hey, look, I'm not so sure that the first-round pick should be Zion. I think they were the same draft. Whoever was in it, Morant wasn't first. But I will tell you this, that John Morant now, compare him to Zion Williamson. Compare what John Morant does every night. He had 52 last night. And if you turn on whatever your favorite morning sports uh, station is, whether it's your local show or whether it's ESPN or whatever, guess what? Guess what? John Morant is tipping it in at the buzzer at four-tenths of a second. I mean, it is insane what this guy is doing. Now, I get it. You know, people that are like my age will say, well, you know, the rules are changed. Sure, they've changed. All he can do is play within the rules. But my God, is this guy good. My God, can this guy ball. My God, was Seth Greenberg right. I'm telling you, there are only certain guys that I listen to about college basketball. Fran Frischella, Seth Greenberg, LaFonso Ellis, and that might be it. Everybody else has an agenda on something. Or you didn't coach. If you didn't coach, generally I ain't listening to you. Because coaches see things so much differently than players do. And when the great Seth Greenberg, an homage to Seth Greenberg, when the great Seth Greenberg says, hey, this guy can really ball, I am all in on it. Like, I'm really all in on it. And you know what? Turns out he could not be more right. Honest to goodness. An homage. Anybody know how to spell homage? I don't know. O-M-A-G-E. I got image, but I must give an homage. Look it up. Smart stuff. That means praise to Seth Greenberg because he's the first guy that told me about the greatness that is John Moran. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We come back. The greatness that is Bobby Carpenter. He's going to let us know. He's going to tell us what in the hell you're feeling when you go to the combine. Who would he draft? See that? That redhead? It's burning me up. I forgot to wear a hat. We'll be back. 
The great Bobby Carpenter of Carps, Carps Corner, at uh, bcarp3, a fantastic follow for anything that you want. And I love having Bobby on because Bobby knows stuff that I don't, which is basically everybody in the world. Bobby, let's get right into it. A um, couple of things. What is your solution to NFL overtime? Oh, goodness, man. You're going to drop that on me here on a oh, Tuesday, goodness, the, uh, March 1st? <laughs> I mean, starting to get a little, starting yeah. to get a little warm. Um, yeah. Oh, goodness. You know, here's the thing. They, they, want it. they don't want these games to go too long. The NFL loves the fact that they can fit them in the three-hour window. So it's not like college football where this thing gets stretched and gets crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I would be a proponent of you know each team getting a possession regardless of outcome, and then you kind of figure it out from there and see what happens. You know, I know they like the touchdown, the silver bullet to finish it off, but you know, to me, I think you build a team, and I understand you know certain things are going to happen during the course of a game, but you would like to think that you would be able to have your quarterback if you're spending forty to fifty million dollars on this guy to have him have a chance to go out there and potentially win that thing for you. And so I think the, the thing they need to put in there is both teams get the ball. That way, you know, regardless of possession or outcome, touchdown, field goal, go score. And then if it's still tied, go play that thing out and first person to score wins. But that way you assure yourself the ability for both quarterbacks to get it. And you feel like it, since we've pushed the game so far that way, that it's now, quote, Dan, I mean, I'm, I'm not big into the, the fairness game, but that makes it feel a little more fair for everybody. As a defender, um, you know, you, you, you played linebacker. You, is, does somebody that says, because I'm not sure where I am with this, is somebody that says, hey, look, if you lose the coin flip, guard them. Defense is part of the game. Just guard them. Um, I don't know where I'm at with that because I do agree with you. The game is certainly about entertainment. You're paying these quarterbacks. How do you answer that part well, of Believe me, I'm with you. Uh... I'm with you on that, Gardam. I mean, it's the same thing you say in every sport. Go get a stop. If you don't like it, go get a stop. But if you look at all sports, how the analytics have changed things, how we officiate things has changed things. And so it's no different than basketball. In the 90s, yeah, you go get a stop in hoops. Imagine if you had just one bucket, first bucket wins. You 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 possession arrow calls it. There you go. And in the 90s, you can get a stop. You get physical on defense. You can do that stuff. The same thing is true in the NFL and college football. You used to be able to get physical receivers. You used to be able to get after the quarterback and do all these different things. And now, you know, they're up-tempo. It's a lot more different and difficult than it used to be. And so with all of those things, it's just so overly slanted to the offense. That's where all the guys get paid the most. And so when you construct a team, you're building it in that way. And so I understand, get the stop. It's a relevant argument, but it's so much more difficult now to go get that single stop than it was 25 years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I do. It's, I, I, you know, it's just not that simple. You know, the macho guy wants to say, ah, I get it. But you got you to gotta kind of be realistic, you know, on what the game has become because the rules have changed. All right, you're going to the combine. Um, what are the nerves like for guys at the combine? I think it's kind of different for everybody, depending on, you know, kind of what type of person you are and what you have to go there and prove. But it, I mean, it, it's the greatest job interview that anybody's going to take in their life. Any one of these players have grown up playing their sport. This is the pinnacle. This is kind of the last threshold, the hurdle, the, the entryway, if you will. I mean, this, this is the pearly gates to your dream. And so you're sitting there trying to figure out how exactly can I compose myself 
the best to make sure that I give the best reflection of myself. I know what I am, but you don't want to get too nervous. And you're still talking about guys too, Dan, that, you know, some guys are as young as 20. Some guys are as old as 23, 24, but it's not like you're talking to someone who is, you know, seasoned and, you know, 45 years old that has been through this, who understands it all, understand that people are going to ask probing, uncomfortable questions that they're going to, you know, push on you medically. They're going to do all these things. You're going to be sleep deprived. You're going to be so stressed out. And so you're just trying not to make a mistake and you're trying to navigate this and like, Hey, I want to come off as competitive, but I don't want to, you know, and confident, but I don't want to be arrogant. And, you know, it's like people are like, just be yourself. You're like, well, what does that even mean? These, these coaches, they twist you up and not so right. much. It's like, well, I don't know how to answer this question. I'll, and I'll say this, uh, good friend of mine, AJ Hawk, you know, we, we played, you know, college together, you know, lifting partners worked out together, all this stuff. We're great friends and still are to this day. And, you know, he's taken, end up being taken fifth overall by green Bay. I go 18th to Dallas and we're getting interviewed. And it's funny because we've had conversations with him since then. And this is just his shtick to kind of get under everybody's skin. But Joe Vitt, it was the, uh, defensive, I think just the linebackers coach, maybe, maybe coordinator for the saints at the time. And they interviewed AJ right before me. And I walk in there and we're, we're like crossing doors. This is the way it goes, Dan at night. It's like speed dating. You have 15 minutes with the team. They do it for three hours. It's like three nights or four nights. You try to get to all the different teams, but I did like interview like 26 teams in three days. I mean, your head's spinning. You don't even know what's do- you're going on. It's so like the third interview or fourth interview of the night. I'm walking into the Saints. AJ's walking out, and he just looks at me. He's like, "Good luck with this guy." And I'm like, "Oh boy, like we're we're gonna get it." And I go in there, and so the the the, the fine line is to appear confident to pitch yourself, but like you want to be a good teammate too. And Sean Payton starts asking me questions, and Sean and I have become pretty good friends, you know, since this point. But he always laughs about it. And Joe's like, starts asking questions about me. And as a player, what type of player are you? And he's like, well, you know, who would, who would you take, you know, you or AJ Hawk? I'm like, well, I mean, AJ's good at a lot of things. He's my teammate, good friend. This is what he's good at. This is what I'm good at. It's, it's kind of a, a, it's a function of you as a coach of what you want in a player and what you're really looking for position, position wise. And he's like, uh, you, that's crap. He's like, you didn't answer the question. I'm like, well, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk bad about my teammate and my friend. He goes, that's not what he didn't hear about you. He told us he carried you for the last three oh years that you wouldn't be anywhere without him. <laughs> and he was sick of dragging your sorry butt around for the last three years. And I look at him like, I'm going to be honest with you, man. He didn't say things like, well, he did. We've got, they record him. I was like, I've got it on tape back there. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, I've known this guy. We have spent probably on average eight hours a day, every day for the last four years together. I know what's going through this guy's mind, but they just want to sit there and see if you're going to turn on him and bag you out and be like, well, who makes the calls? I'm like, well, I make this call on defense. He does this one. Well, who's the real leader then? And it's like, you know, (laughs) and they literally want you to try to throw your dude under the bus because they want to see if when it comes down to it, Dan, at the nut cutting time, like, are you going to be someone that shirks responsibility? Are you going to step up and take it all the while? trying to sell yourself in the best light saying, Hey, I think I'm the best guy for you. So, I mean, you're trying to like walk that fine line, but it is not, it is not an easy situation. I know. Right. And you got a good thing that you recognized it. Cause I could see a guy 
falling into a trap. You know what I mean? Uh, it happens all the time. And so my agent was pretty good. Jimmy Sex, yeah. he represents a ton of guys. And he's like, listen, I had kind of a rep rep uh, reputation. I'm an, an emotional guy. Like, that's, that's what made has made me good at sports, tapping into the emotions. The problem is, you know, you've got to keep those things, you know, on, on the tracks. They start getting a little bit out of control. And, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to haul off and punch someone during the game, but I mean, I, I've been known to snap back at a coach before. And when things get heated, like, they boil up, and I, they boil fast for me. And so I think a lot of it was they were trying to do that stuff. And so there's guys who will get up and flip a table. And I, I always go back to the Des Bryant situation. You know, Des Bryant's a, a great player, very emotional guy, highly competitive dude. And we go back and you can get into whether or not the question's appropriate. When you're about to pay someone who's young millions of dollars, invest in them in a huge way, you want to make sure the guy that you're getting isn't going to have you know any issues and isn't going to be doing, getting the problems off the field and all this stuff. And so they start pushing into Des. And you know the, the accounting is a little bit different depending who you ask, but eventually they start to insinuate you know that his mom was a prostitute. And I'm like... I, and people are like, that's terrible. I'm like, it is terrible. I was like, I know exactly why they did it, just to see if he would sit there and stay calm in a situation where you shouldn't be, knowing that he's got this, this history of having a temper. And they dug in on it to the point where they're going to try to hit the most personal vein that they possibly can. And they're going to weave their way through, man. You know, it's like exploratory surgery until they find that, hmm. And then they dig and they want to see if you're going to flip the table over on them and try to fight them. And because they want that competitiveness, but they want you to be able to control it. And so it's, it's really, really tough to manage. I understand why the coaches do it because they don't want a guy who's going to haul off and whack someone during a game or get in a fight at a bar, but they also want somebody who's going to go out there and compete for 60 minutes and always is going to grind. And so trying to walk that fine line and understanding, like, it's not like you're going to interview you know, at Procter and Gamble, you know, or going to interview her an accounting firm, no other job, Dan, outside of professional sports, are you trying to execute at a high level where you probably have 60 to a hundred thousand people watching and maybe another 30 to 50 watching on TV. Meanwhile, there are people in the stands yelling at you about your mom, yelling at you about your wife, some terrible things, misogynistic races, all the stuff. People get mad. I'm like, nothing offends me. Like, that's awful. I'm like, have you heard the stuff coming out of the stands at games like you have that players have heard? That's awful. That's why they have to do this to players because they want to make sure that you are that those things are happening and they're happening around you, but it's not going to impact your performance. And it's so tough to try to evaluate that and to feel confident and good about it. I had Coach Knight's wife, MF, and me from behind the bench one time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I thought to myself, ah, I should play better than get her off my ass. <laughs> but it's fa it's fascinating, though. It, it, it is fascinating. Like, it, I, I don't know how you could fault Des Bryant if he did flip the table over. You talk about a guy's mother in that vein, son of a bitch. I mean, that's like an – wow. I don't know, man. That's, that's – that, And it's the ooh, same thing. It is. It much. is a little much. But I'm going to tell you, man, it, it, and it's tough to ask that question because it's going to come out of the stands. People do their, I mean, God bless it. People love sports yeah. in America, and I love the fact that they do. I think it's a great thing about our country. And people act like, hey, by me paying $125 to get in a seat right next to people, or maybe 1000 I don't know how much it's going to cost. 
but they're going to sit there and do a week's worth of research to find out your wife's name, you know, find out your kids' names, get your mom's names, where you grew up, if you lost the game in college, if you've ever been arrested. I mean, and they're going to build this thing out like it's a freaking middle school report and make sure they have all the information. And so they've got to ask yeah. that for you, Dan, so that you don't turn around and go full Ron our test up there and try to grab them and pull them out of the stands. <laughs> You know what those in college basketball, like the the student section will have a whole list on each player. You know, he, he's here's an Instagram picture of him hitting on a girl. You know, I mean, it, literally, it'll be that kind of a thing. Here's, you know, I told my son, don't ever go on Tinder, don't ever go on nothing, because you're gonna end up in some student sex. Well, let me go to something because you said Jimmy Sexton, um, you know, prepared you for that. Here's a question that I don't know if people really ask. I get all these different drills that you do. If I'm an athlete or if I'm a dad of an athlete or I'm an agent of an athlete going to the combine, I, I'm training for these specific drills. The cone drill. I'm training for these drills. If, if you were a GM and you're kind of, you know, going to draft somebody and maybe these drills are kind of the tipping point or you want – how do you separate, hey, I know he trained for these drills from him as a player? It's really one of the more difficult things because no one used to practice the drills. And then people started realizing, like, you know what? If they're going to utilize these times and kind of hold them against me or, or use them to my benefit, like, I'm just going to practice the drills down to where, like, you know, you're doing the three cone. It's two steps forward, three steps out, two steps. So, I mean, literally, you're counting and you have all this down so that People have studied this to be as efficient as possible. And so it takes away a lot of the raw athleticism. It's, hey, are you good at doing the cone drill? Well, what the heck does that have to right. do with playing football? You know, like, are you good at running a 40? Okay, you have a great start. Well, how many times in the NFL are you getting down a three-point stance and you're running like that with your eyes down, driving like you're running 100 meters? Like, that's not real. And so they, they look at that, and the best coaches – and in the NFL, and this is what they always say, you know, Jimmy was you know, big into this too. He was Bill Parcells' agent. So if you can handle Bill as a client, you can handle just about anybody. He's got saving all these dudes. But he, he always said, he's like, the best thing that you can do for good coaches and good front offices is have great game film. Okay, the, the numbers are just going to confirm, like, all right, that guy's fast. Okay, well, okay, here's his speed. We know he's now fast. It, it looks good. And the, the problem comes is when, there's a guy who has great film and then like average to below average testing metrics or a guy has a below average film and great testing metrics. Cause then you begin to ask yourself, well, you know, is this guy just an overachiever who once he actually sees great athletes is going to really struggle or on the flip side of that, is this guy just a really great athlete who has never really been coached well, or he's just a great athlete who is, who's never going to be very good. You get a guy like DK Metcalf, who with Seattle, who looks like he was chiseled out of marble. He's phenomenal, but he never really had a ton of production when he was at Ole Miss. Like injuries, there's this, and that. there's a ton of reasons. And you see a guy like him, and he's been pretty good in the NFL, really good. And you have a guy like, you know, a Vernon Golston, or, or two I played with at Ohio State, who, I mean, literally had checked every physical box, had one really good season, and, you know, didn't really love the game all that much. And really wasn't a football player. And so he gets drafted high and he's, he's kind of underwhelming, you know, and doesn't end up working out. And so that's what they, they try to manage is I heard you talking about John Morant before. Like, I mean, how does a guy like that end up at Murray state? Is it because 
you know, he is he playing great against average competition or is he really blossomed? Has he worked harder? Like, and you begin to question, like, was he truly athletic enough to compete? And then you start to see, like, well, yeah, it's the same thing as Steph Curry. Like, it's it's the same thing football and basketball, like relative competition. You don't check the box with measurables. And so how is that going to translate since you don't fit in our prototypical window? It's like John Moran couldn't dunk the basketball in high school. That's <laughs> like all of a sudden now, whoa, whoa. It's amazing. Like Jesus, but it is fascinating. All right. I got to get to a Colts question. Cause I got the general manager of the Colts with me tomorrow. Who's a better option than Carson Wentz? That's le- legitimate, legitimate opportunity to come to the Colts. You know, we all want Aaron Rodgers. Okay, great. Who, who's a better option? Because that's what they're doing yeah, here. In you know, my daughter wanted an iPhone 13 for Christmas. And at that time, I didn't even have an iPhone 13. So, you know what? We're not, we're not, we can shoot for the moon, okay? Right. But like, let's come back to reality right. a little bit, right. first of all, here. I want a full head of hair, Bobby. <laughs> I want your hair. I got this, Bobby. We don't give exactly. what we want. Exactly. So, I mean, I would look at like this. You look at the roster. What do they have? What do they have? They've, they've got a really good defense, good offensive line. Jonathan Taylor's really good running game. Their receivers, I think, when they're healthy, are very good. So I think they've kind of got most of the other things checked. I don't think you need a guy, and I think we've talked about this, that's going to go have to win you every game. And I think that's Carson Wentz's problem a little bit, is he plays to go win you every single game. Like, just play within the system what you're giving you. So, I mean, this might not sound great in the because it's not the sexy guys. But I honestly think like Jimmy Garoppolo, you put him with the Colts, you would see a lot of what you're seeing with him at San Francisco. And so if making it to an AFC championship sounds good, maybe making it to a Super Bowl and being close to winning one, I can't promise you he's going to get you there, but I know he's going to be close. Kirk Cousins, I, Kirk Cousins, I think, could do a little bit of that. I think the real great guy would be Derek Carr, but I don't know if he's going to be available. You know, But those are some guys, it's like, ah, it doesn't really get you excited. But then you don't necessarily need that guy to get you excited. I don't need you to go get me, you know, 400 yards passing. Just give me 285 and don't turn it over three times and we'll win the game. Yeah, that's the kind of the thing. Hey, I know you got to run, man, but I've been saying Garoppolo. People seem to love Jimmy G. People that play with him think he's got some kind of swag, right? That he's freaking just a dude's dude, which I like. We, we live, I don't know. We live in, well, I, know. I tell you this, he's confident. We live in an era now where, you know, what if you try to bring in someone to compete and you get, you know, ruffles your feathers. I mean, you know, they drafted a quarterback last year, three overall. And, you know, he went out this year and played some pretty darn good football with a dude breathing down his neck, overcoming injuries. You know, he had him right on the freaking cusp. They've got a lead there with a chance to go to the NFC Championship. I mean, they're, they're, they're right there. They're playing really good football. And so, like, he did all that without anybody really publicly believing in him. So you have a confident dude who checks a lot of boxes. His teammates love him. I mean, I think he'd be a great fit there. You put him in the dome, good receivers, good defense, good running game, a lot of the things he had in San Francisco. And I think you'll see a lot of what you saw in San Francisco. Maybe he ultimately doesn't get you a Super Bowl, but he gets you a heck of a lot closer than you are today. Bobby, I know you got to run, man. I appreciate it. That's fun as hell, man. Hey, my Thanks. pleasure, Dan. Anytime. He's the best at B Carp three, man. Bobby Carpenter, he's got to run. He had a hard out at 10 till, uh, and we have got to respect it. See, here's what I've said, all right? Here's what I've said about the Colts. Here, and here's why the question is, because this question can be the same at your place if you don't have one of the elite quarterbacks. 
So the Colts are saying, hey, look, I don't even know if they're saying it. It's been leaked. It's been reported by the guys that when they report stuff, you listen, okay? All right? So that let's take that, number one. All right. Well, they're saying the Colts want to release, coming up here at the start of the new calendar year in March, Carson Wentz. My thing is, if you are good enough, and now we're into the sixth year of this regime, who are you getting that's an upgrade? And it would be the same thing for you in your place. Who are you getting that's an upgrade? Carson Wentz threw for damn near 4,000 yards, just a little bit under. 27 to 7 uh, touchdowns to interceptions. So who's an upgrade? That is the question. You don't want to go backwards, do you? A lot of people say, well, you know, Mitchell Trubisky or Marcus Mariota. What are you talking about? How's that an upgrade? If you get him and he, one of those two guys, and they play like an upgrade, then cool. But how would you say right now, right now, that that is an upgrade? Not. All right. Jimmy G, don't know whether it is, but I would be accepting of that. Derek Carr, look, I've said this before. When Derek Carr walked into Lucas Oil Stadium, second to last game of the year, both teams needed the game. The Colts needed it. They go to the playoffs. The uh, Raiders need it. They got a chance to go to the playoffs. Guess what? Derek Carr dominated the building. And anybody that was in that building late in the game understands exactly what I'm saying. He dominated. He dominated that Wait, get over here get, at a time when, you know what, um, they needed, they being the Raiders, needed somebody to dominate the building. Well, he did it. And you know what? Uh, that's just the way it goes. I would love Derek Carr in Indy. I would bet money that Derek Carr is a hell of an upgrade over Carson Wentz. But you just can't go, I don't think, you just can't go and just get a guy and say he's an upgrade. Like Mitchell Trubisky, upgrade? No. How the hell is that an upgrade? And it's the same thing. Is Kirk Cousins an upgrade? I don't know. But it's the same thing in your town. Let's say Cleveland, where my guy, El Presidente, Sean Black is. If you're going to say we want to move on, we got to move on, I can't have Baker Mayfield anymore, we got to upgrade. Huh. Well, tell me who's an upgrade. Because everybody is not just an upgrade because they're different. You know, you see it all the time, don't you? You see it all the time. The backup quarterback is the hero. The backup quarterback, he's the guy. If we played him, for years we said that around here, well, not really, but Jacoby Brissett was going to be the guy. All right. Okay. Well, guess what? Jacoby Brissett wasn't the guy. You're the guy until you play enough and then people realize, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a reason he's a backup. Shit. He played to explain to us, his play explained to us his backup position in the NFL. That ain't an upgrade. So one of the things about a guy like Wentz, now a guy like Mayfield, now a guy pretty much like Cousins, used to be Derek Carr, but he played his way out. 
about the first three guys that I mentioned, Mayfield, Cousins, and Wentz, is they're easy to criticize. Like, if you criticize Carson Wentz, everybody, yeah. Yeah. But if you really look at Carson Wentz, you go, man, the Colts' defense couldn't hold six fourth-quarter leads. If you really look at Baker Mayfield, maybe you go, you know what? Baker Mayfield played with a torn labrum. That's a shoulder. If you look at Derek Carr, you're like, ah, I can't do this. And all of a sudden, he does it with an interim coach, and he gets off of the chopping block. I don't know, man. It's fascinating to me tonight, or it's fascinating to me. One thing that I want to touch on, Purdue plays Wisconsin tonight. It's at Wisconsin. It's kind of for the Big Ten title, all right? Now, here's the deal. Purdue's two-point favorite at Wisconsin. Here, I'm going to probably, I think, get into this game later on in the fades, but I got a minute or two here because I know our chat board is talking about it. This is Wisconsin to a T. Let me explain this to you. Wisconsin, all year long, and I swear to God, rightfully so, has been underestimated, undervalued. They look like a team, at least from the first game that I saw them against Texas A&M, back around Thanksgiving. They look horrible. But you know what they do? They win and win and win. And if I were a bookmaker and I've got to put a line out there that each side would bet on, Purdue being a a two-and-a-half favorite seems like a pretty good bet. Either way, Wisconsin at home. Give me the points on the home team. Wisconsin's a game ahead in the Big Ten. Give me the points on the home team. Wisconsin beat Purdue. Johnny Davis threw 37 at Purdue. Give me the home team points. Wait a second. Purdue's best team in the Big Ten talent-wise. Purdue's coming off a loss. Matt Painter's a great coach. Give me Purdue. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm fascinated by the game tonight. But this is typical total Wisconsin. I mean, you look at them. They got nobody the size of the two guys of Purdue. They can match Jaden Ivey with Johnny Davis. In fact, they can be better than Jaden Ivey with Johnny Davis. And he was the first time they played. It's a fascinating game. It is a fascinating game tonight. There is no way... If you lined up, here's Wisconsin, man man for man, walking down. Here's Purdue, man for man. You wouldn't make this a 10-point spread. You'd say, Wisconsin, I don't care if you're playing in the Colts Center. I don't care if you're a game up in the – I don't care. Wisconsin's going to get their ass kicked if you just lined them up. But you know what? They just play well. And their guard and Brad Davison, whether you like him, whether you think he's dirty, I love him. I'd love to coach him. I'd love to be around him. I'd love to be his teammate. I'd love him. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Wisconsin Purdue. I'm going to give you Wisconsin later on today, and I'll take the points. Only because I just figure what the hell. They just always seem to win this year. And both coaches are great guys, too. You won't see any stupidity. You just won't. All right. When we come back, I got to find out what the hell's going on here in the NBA. And there's no better, no better human being to find out than the great Frank Isola from ESPN. 
from the New York whatever newspaper, from the Yes Network. He's all over the place. I love Frank Isola. He joins us next. Hey, look, I appreciate Frank Isola. He just did three hours of radio, but he has a face for TV. I'm wearing it. America's most handsome I'm wearing, man. I'm ah, wearing three hours right. of radio on my face for crying out loud. This is a big time. You know, go from three hours of radio to do your show. You owe me, just so you know that. I do. Do you wear makeup on the no. radio? <laughs> no. We're not, we're not doing <laughs> I did wear makeup last night doing the net game, though. And I have to do my own because they don't yeah. have a makeup woman there. Or a guy. Dude, have you ever gone into a makeup store and bought makeup? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I have. They somebody gave me a pack well, of it once, and then no. I actually asked my wife. I mean, this is where my life is. I actually asked my wife the other day to go in and get me one of those brushes. I need one of those. I will not go into the <laughs> the, the CVS to get that. She's got to get that for me. She said she would do that, which is. Nice. I went to the I went to the Mac store. M A C I think is the makeup because uh, Tariko told me, yeah, just go. And I went in and I'm like, I can't do it. I, I, <laughs> There's no no amount of makeup is helping this shit out. There's nothing. nothing you know what? Going on I, hey, I ask you. No, no. I was go gonna ahead. say the one thing about the makeup which I never liked. I never liked the smell of the baby wipes when you wipe it when you wipe it off your face. So that was always the big issue. I didn't mind wearing the makeup. I just like I didn't like taking it off. That was a that was a little torturous. But there we go. Frank, last story. I'm I'm my first time in broadcast, and I'm working at the Big Ten Network. And I would drive home late at night from Chicago through my hometown of Gary, Indiana, Maryville, Indiana, to Indianapolis. And I get stopped on the highway after I was on, you know, and all night. Makeup. A friend of mine's, yes, a friend of mine's the cop. And he pulls up and I got my license and he looks at me. He goes, Doc, are you wearing makeup? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh shit! I forgot to get the wipes and get it, get it off. Uh, uh, hey, what's going on with the Nets? Is Kyrie Irving? What, what what's going on here? Walk me through the Nets, will you, you please? You, know, you have to talk to the mayor of New York because they still have the mandate where visiting players could play and not be vaccinated, but Kyrie Irving for some reason can't. Even though Kyrie, by the way, lives in New Jersey, he doesn't even live in New York. And if Kyrie were going to play in the home games, he would have to be tested. So you can make the case that Kyrie might be the safest person, you know, in the building on that particular night. So it, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense that uh, he's not able to play. It, it, it's a little silly at this point. I get it. He made his choice. You, people could argue that as much as they want. The league and the city had a, you know, had a decision that they made. But I think we've reached the point now, you know, where we are with the virus and the fact that Kyrie would have to be tested before he entered the building, to me, there's no reason why he shouldn't be allowed to play, especially, again, since visiting players are allowed to play if they're unvaccinated. What, what did it mean when the mayor said we can't make an exception for Kyrie Irving? I, well, I, th I think what they're worried about is, you know, in the past couple of days, I think it was over a thousand city employees lost were laid off because they were not vaccinated. So I think that's where, you know, the mayor doesn't want to kind of go down that rabbit hole of having to deal with making the exception for Kyrie, then you have all these other people. But my suggestion would be, well, why not let everybody work now? And if they're going to work, they, they, I guess they would have to be tested before um, they're allowed back in the workplace. But he came out the other day, said the cases have been going down. And I, I just think we've reached a point now where there's probably a little bit more understanding about the virus and people who've gotten the vaccine 
you know, got it. They got the booster. I think these people that aren't going to get it, aren't going to Kyrie Irving has said that he's uh, not going to get it. But again, I just think that Kyrie should be allowed to play and he's not, he's not a New York resident. You know, he kind of could fall under the entertainer uh, clause, which, you know, that's what visiting players kind of fall under and let the guy play. Frank. All right. To an outsider, the, the Nets look like this team that went from a potential juggernaut to a bit of a mess. Is that an accurate description? Well, you know, they're going to get Kevin Durant back either Thursday against Miami or Sunday against the Boston Celtics. And Kevin Durant, when he's out there, makes everybody better. So right now the Nets are a mess. Uh, you know, last night they got blown out by Toronto. They played Toronto tonight up there. So they're not going to have Kevin Durant. They won't have Kyrie Irving. They won't have Ben Simmons. And they won't have Joe Harris, who's an important player who's been out since November, since having ankle surgery, you know, when they get, if, and when they get everybody back, they'll be a tough team to beat just because Kevin Durant is that good. My biggest issue is going to be with Ben Simmons because we haven't seen Ben Simmons play since um, June. And we don't know what kind of player Ben Simmons is. The last time he played, he wasn't shooting the ball because he didn't want to get fouled and he couldn't make his free throws. So, you know, he's still, you know, we know that he can be a great player, but our last image of Ben Simmons was a guy who didn't want the ball and couldn't shoot free throws. I have no idea if he solved that. Will Nobody's going to know until he actually gets out on the court and starts playing again. What does he do? What, 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 what is, what, what's a day in the life of Ben Simmons? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because on March 10th, they play in Philadelphia. And my thing is, you know, LeBron went back to Cleveland. He had to, you know, kind of go through it. Anthony Davis went back to New Orleans. Kevin Durant went back to Oklahoma City. And it's, I'm sure it's not a pleasant experience for them, but you kind of just do it and you get over it. And I'll tell you what, on March 10th, the way they're yeah. set up right now, if he went to Philadelphia, he would have Kevin Durant playing. He would have Kyrie Irving playing. So he would have, you know, the Nets would have a strong team. The fans are going to destroy Ben Simmons. I get all that. But if the Nets don't want him to play in that game, I hope that they're not holding him out because they don't want to make it look like he doesn't want to go to Philadelphia and then they're going to have him play right after Philadelphia. Just come out and say, listen, he's playing in these games, but on March 10th, we don't want to subject him to that. We're not going to turn into a circus. We're going to protect our player. He's not going to play against Philadelphia. Now, the fans of Philly aren't going to like it because they want to have their say with Ben Simmons. But, you know, you know Dan, on Wednesday, we'll mark three weeks since the trade has been made and the guy is yet to play. Now, I know they're saying that maybe he's dealing with a back issue, whatever the case may be, but it looked like when they made the trade, maybe he was going to play right after the All-Star break, but that, is, that hasn't been the case. We're three weeks removed from the trade, and he still hasn't played. Yeah, it's, it's, it's him and Deshaun Watson. It's the oddest things. I mean, Deshaun Watson I get, but he's at the facility all the time when this season was going on, and here's a guy – I don't know. Is DeRozan the uh, – whoa, whoa, whoa. Is LeBron to blame for all that's going on with the Lakers? Well, I think he has to take some – Is he well, the guy – He's got to take some of the responsibility yeah. because I think, you know, he probably wanted Russell Westbrook. It's weird, too, because LeBron – listen, LeBron, like every GM, if we're calling him a de facto GM, has hits and misses. And LeBron is a very smart guy. He knows what works well around him. I'm surprised that they went out and got Russell Westbrook. Even though Westbrook last season – carried Washington into the play-in tournament, and he did really well the last six weeks of the season. I think most people felt, how will it work in L.A. when Russell Westbrook needs the ball in his hands to be good, but if you have LeBron James on your team, that's the guy that has to have the ball. Now, do I think that Russell Westbrook 
and Frank Vogel have probably gotten too much criticism. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a little over the top. Anthony Davis has been hurt. There have been times when he's been unproductive. LeBron dealt with injuries early. LeBron has been great, but you know he's got to take some of the hit here because he's kind of signed off as well on wanting Russell Westbrook on the team. Because let's be honest, there has been, correct me if I'm wrong, Frank, but it seems like there's a specific type player, and that type player is a shooter that deals well playing with LeBron James. And uh, look, Westbrook's a lot of things, but he ain't no yeah, shooter. And, and sometimes you wonder, too, if the players think, well, he's a superstar, I'm a superstar, we'll definitely be a good fit together. And I even wonder with James Harden coming to Brooklyn, maybe he and Kevin Durant, yeah, they're, they, you know, they've been friends, they've been teammates. Maybe they don't love playing with each other. Maybe that's one of the reasons why James Harden didn't want to be there. He'd rather be the guy with the ball in his hands all the time. But when you're out on the court with Kevin Durant, we know who the offense is going to run through. And I, I think LeBron missed on this one. I think the Lakers missed on this one. And it's amazing to see what's going on with the Lakers. Think about this. As great as LeBron has been throughout his career, and obviously he's been an, you know, an all-time legendary player, he's six games under 500. Who would have ever thought a team featuring LeBron James at this stage of his career would be six games under? And remember, they've played mostly home games, and they're in the Western Conference, which isn't nearly as good as the Eastern Conference. So even though LeBron has been putting up big numbers and he's making a steady climb towards Kareem's all-time scoring record, it just is, it's been a complete mess this year with the Lakers. Frank, I couldn't stop watching it Sunday. I was on an airplane coming back. Uh, I was on a layover in, in Atlanta, and I'm flying back, and I'm watching it on the plane, and I couldn't stop watching it. It was so yeah. bad yeah, against the Pelicans the other night. It was that well, You know, bad. it's funny, too. It's You know, the Yankees are a little bit like this in baseball. The Cowboys are like this in football, and the Lakers are the basketball equivalent where, you know, the larger-than-life franchises, and when they're losing, it really is like the sky is falling. And the Lakers, it's, it now seems like every game the sky is falling. Like the way that they played the other night with all the turnovers in, that they had, and we've seen the videos of LeBron getting into it with fans, Trevor Ariza getting into it, Russell Westbrook as well. It just seems like everything that's happening with that team, it's just bad. And it's amazing, too. You want to talk about a great job. How about the job that Tyron Lue and the Clippers are doing? The Clippers haven't had Kawhi the entire season. Paul George has missed most of the season. And they're the team in L.A. that has the better record than the Lakers with everything that's gone on with, with, that's gone on with them. So the Clippers have done a pretty good job. Right now, they kind of own L.A., believe it or not. Yeah, as much as the Clippers yeah, can own L.A., exactly, I assume, exactly. right? I mean, yeah. Is DeRozan a legitimate MVP? Candidate? I think he is. I think games like last night probably hurt him a little bit because you're going up against a battle-tested Miami Heat team which, you know, that's technically for first place in the Eastern Conference, and they kind of locked them down for the most part. I think DeRozan will finish in the top five, absolutely. I still think Embiid, Jokic, and I think now what John Moran has done just over the past week. And remember, only one team in the NBA has a better record than the Memphis Grizzlies, which is the Phoenix Suns. So not only is John Moran playing well, You always like it when guys are playing well and it's leading to wins. And that's why all those MVP candidates are playing for good teams. I still think it's Embiid's to lose. And Dan, you know how it works. 101 people vote. It's mostly, you know, media people, media people like a good story. It kind of feels like it's Embiid's time. That doesn't take anything away from Nikola Jokic, who's having just as good of a season this year as he had last year. In fact, you can make the case he's having a better season because he hasn't had Jamal Murray there. He hasn't had Michael Porter for most of the uh, most of the year. It just feels like it's Embiid's time, kind of like it was. Remember way back in the day 
It was Carl Malone's time, and Michael Jordan never let anybody forget it, including Carl Malone when he played against him in the finals. I was going to say that. The NBA seems to me like it's your time to be the MVP. <laughs> like Barkley won it, right? over Like Jordan, what, he win it like five yep. times in 15 years or whatever? The NBA has always been that to me. Like, all right, it's your time. You, you, it's this is yours this year. Well, I think right? that's I, what and you're I saying. Think, listen, like last year, I voted for Jokic. I felt that he was the MVP. I did not give a vote to Embiid because I didn't think that he played in enough games. For me, that's kind of a big deal, participation, and that's been the thing that has separated. I think Embiid, <laughs> yeah. he just doesn't play enough. This year, that's not the case. So I didn't give him a vote last year, but I. I get a vote, and right this moment, you know, with about 20 games to go, I would vote Joel Embiid the MVP. But again, the media votes for the end. You know, the media kind of we know what like a good story is. Embiid winning would be interesting. And think about if he wins. Everyone had talked a few years ago about the center being removed from the NBA, and yet you could have back-to-back centers winning MVP, Jokic and Embiid. And Giannis last year, a lot during the finals, was was in theory playing center for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he was the finals MVP with an outstanding performance against Phoenix. Regardless of whether it's been good or bad, are the Bucks the favorite in the East? I would still say they are because I think they know how to win, and I think if they get Brook Lopez back, he'll help. You know, he spreads the floor. The way that they played recently, including that loss against the Nets, I was kind of surprised by that. You know, they were up in that game. Kyrie Irving hadn't played in two weeks, and Kyrie put up 38 points on them. But I think... You know, if you look at them, Dan, traditionally in these series, the last couple of years, they always play poorly in game one. Then they seem to recover, and they, it takes them a while to get into the series. Last year, they lost, they lost both games to the Brooklyn Nets. They lost game one to the Atlanta Hawks. They lost the first two games to the Phoenix Suns in the finals, and they still came back and won. And I think you can tell that they carry themselves a lot differently. Once you've won a title, we know that Giannis has always had a ton of confidence. And how about him last night? going 14 of 14 from the free throw line. It used to be an adventure for him. Last night, he yeah. knocks down all 14. Chris Middleton's been in some big moments, and I just love Drew Holiday. I mean, he's so big, strong, and tough, and can guard so many different uh, positions. I would think right now, even though the East is very good, Philadelphia's tough, Miami's tough. I think the Brooklyn Nets wants to get everybody back. We know how good they're going to be. And then even Boston has completely turned their season around. And then you got the Chicago Bulls, even though they're, to me, they're a little too inexperienced. But right now, they do sit in second place in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's fascinating. Um, have you ever seen in the NBA anything coach to coach like what we saw in college basketball with uh, Juwan Howard? No, I was, you know, and I don't, I never covered Juwan, but, you know, all those years where he was an assistant coach with Miami, and obviously he was represented by David Falk, and I know Patrick really well, you'd always see Juwan Howard around, and he could not have been a nicer guy. In that moment, he, he just lost it. And, you know, I get it. He's a fiery guy, but he knows you can't do something like that. And I didn't want to see the guy get fired. I could understand that if they did. And I thought, you know, the, the punishment was fair. Could they have extended it into the Big Ten tournament? Absolutely. I, you know, I was, uh, I was surprised by it. it. It was a mistake that he made. I think he eventually acknowledged that. And, you know, I, I was surprised, too, by how many of your college basketball people, even including my buddy Jeff Van Gundy, who said, ah, they should do away with the handshake line. I know Patrick Ewing said it as well. I don't, I don't think that was the solution to that problem, just, you know, essentially getting rid of sportsmanship. It was one guy, you know, that 
that lashed out in that moment. But I, I don't think that means we should never have handshake lines again. I thought that was silly. When I played, we didn't have a handshake line, and I hated yep. the handshake line when it came in. I just didn't. didn't I, I just didn't. What does the NBA do? Guys just kind of go like that, right? Yeah. Hey, good to yeah. see you. We'll talk to you later. Is that is that what the NBA? Yeah, the coaches does? will wave, and then there are some places. You know, Chicago is like this, where the two teams have to cross paths. Madison Square Garden, once they they reconfigured the building with the locker rooms, the two teams cross cross paths, and I remember thinking. There's going to be a there's going to be a problem here, and sure enough, I'm going to forget the player on Boston. It wasn't the Garnett thing with Carmelo Anthony. Jordan Crawford was the player. After a game, he said something to Carmelo Anthony, and next thing you knew, guys had to be restrained. So at the end of the game, the NBA players, like you see it in every sport, you see it in the NFL, you see it in soccer when you're watching, you know, these games all over the world. Players that might be from the same country, they might have been ex uh, teammates. You'll see guys having conversations on the field, but there's no kind of set, you know, handshake line. Even in the NHL, everyone talks about, you know, the handshake line. Well, they only do that at the end of the playoffs. They don't do that. They don't do that every game. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. When I played my 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 high school teammate played at Purdue. I played at Indiana. And after the game, hey Jimmy, how you doing? Hey, you know, blah 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 blah. And we go away. I, you know. It's not the solution to stupidity. Yeah. I. I, I mean, I swear to God, Frank. I want to just. I don't think I've ever seen an NBA coach punch another NBA coach. <laughs> but I don't but, think I have. Maybe but I, I have. Do I don't think, know. I do think if it happened in the NBA, let's say, uh, you know, all right, so Doc and Tom Thibodeau are friends, but let's just say that, you know, Tom, Doc, Doc Rivers, yeah. I think people would chalk it up to, well, all right, well, it's the NBA. I think it's looked at a lot differently when it's college basketball and you're the head coach and you're, you're on the road, you're in charge of every student that's traveling with the team, including, you know, that includes players and student managers. It's obviously going to be viewed a different way from a university standpoint. And obviously the statement, you know, Michigan, the school itself came out with the statement before any punishment was made. And, you know, you could tell that they were upset by the whole thing as they should be. The whole, it was, it wasn't a good look for anybody in college basketball. That's for sure. No, it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And the hand, yeah, you can't. I, I don't want them to get rid of the handshake line now as a reaction to stupidity. Well, that, I agree totally. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, well, I agree. you know, and listen, if you're at the end of the bench and you don't feel like shaking hands, I don't know, then, then walk off. Maybe, maybe that's the way to do it. But I don't think there should be a rule where you say no one shaking hands after the game. If guys want to shake hands after the game, let them do it. I don't see what the big deal is. Cal Perry, now they walk off because of COVID, he says. Yeah. Kentucky doesn't shake hands. He 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 went COVID on uh, us. COVID is COVID will give you COVID will give you an excuse. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, hey, look how many people haven't returned to work. You know, pe people started like uh, you know they right. like working from home, and then all these companies realize, especially in New York City, how much money we're paying in rent in our office space. So you know what? Maybe it's not the worst thing. COVID. A lot of people use COVID for a good excuse, and maybe this John Calipari is using it as a way to avoid. Yeah. Uh, Shaking hands with Jerry Stackhouse because my guy Jerry Stackhouse don't mess with him. I did rate I did a radio show with Jerry Stackhouse. No. Jerry's as tough as they come. Yeah, you don't mess with Jerry. There are a few guys you don't mess with. Very underrated as a as a uh, tough guy, Jerry Stackhouse. Uh -huh. My neighbor told me at COVID, he goes, "Look, I went from seven thousand dollars a month in office space." Ted, no, I do whatever it's called, and it's fifteen hundred a month. So I, I know what you're saying. Should Derek Jeter end up somewhere? <laughs> and if so, should it be TV? Should it be the Yankees TV, Yankees front office? Derek Jeter just go be a playboy? What should? 
If you're Derek Jeter, what are we yeah, doing? He's got so much money and he's at such a different level. I don't think, I don't think TV is his thing. You know, you know, Brian Cashman has been the GM of the Yankees for a long time and he and Derek don't have the greatest relationship. So I don't know if there's going to be any kind of scenario where Derek Jeter is back with the Yankees, but it always did feel a little odd to me that he was running, that he was working for another team other than the New York Yankees, because for you know 20 years, the New York Yankees, the face of the franchise was Derek Jeter, who did nothing but win. And I know a lot of people, you know, people outside of New York didn't like Derek Jeter, but that guy, he came up clutch so many times in big moments. And then remember when he got into the hall of fame, he was one vote away from being unanimous. And I give the person credit who didn't vote for him because the guy did not do it or the woman did not do it to draw attention to themselves because their identity has not been revealed. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of that Fred Hickman thing. Remember years ago when Shaq would have been the unanimous MVP, but Fred Hickman voted for Allen Iverson and that kind of became a big story. Derek Jeter would have been unanimous except for one vote. And we still don't know the identity of that one person. I did, I'm, I'm with you on that. I always thought Derek Jeter as the CFO or CEO of the Miami Marlins just seemed odd. There are yeah. just certain guys that should be with certain teams, and Jeter might be the poster child Yeah, for that. and, you know, he came up, you know, drafted out of high school, out of Michigan by the Yankees. You know, a lot of people in their minor league system thought that he, you know, had the chance to be a really special player. Did they think he was going to be a Hall of Fame player? I don't know about that, but and I get it. There was a lot of people didn't like Derek Jeter, where there was people in Boston, and they think, well, he played with the New York Yankees, so he's going to be, you know, he's the, his talent's going to be overrated. He's the first, you know, Yankee to ever get three thousand hits. And you think about all the great players that have played for the Yankees, the legendary players. Nobody ever had three thousand hits, and he had a lot of clutch performances in the biggest moments in playoff games. There was something he had that certain quality about him where you know he knew how to you know he would come through in big moments and he liked the idea what people used to say about you know Joe DiMaggio had the famous saying that he wanted to play every day just like Michael Jordan because there's going to be someone in the crowd that came to the game and is only going to see him play one time so he didn't want to let that person down that's how DiMaggio was that's how Michael Jordan was and that's how Derek Jeter was I think he understood like, you know, his place in Yankee history, but also in baseball. And he took, uh, you know, responsibility for that. I'm going to go back to something. Derek Jeter's the first Yankee to yep. get 3,000 hits. And you know when he got the 3,000 hit was a home run. He did it in grand style. Home run, yeah, yep. I remember yep. that. Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth. Think about these guys. Joe, so Joe DiMaggio's got the 56-game hitting streak. You know, Babe Ruth had the home run record before Hank Aaron broke it. Lou Gehrig had the all-time uh, games played streak until um, Cal Ripken broke it. Some, le- you know, Mickey Mantle, some legendary, <laughs> legendary. Yogi Berra, how many World Series did Yogi win? Uh, eight or whatever it was, a ten, I don't even know. But uh, Derek kind of stands alone in terms of hits. Wow. I I would have gone a long time. See, that's why I love yeah. having Frank Isola on well, the just show. Ch- He's not just a pretty face. Well, check Jeez. to make sure I'm right about that. I'm pretty sure I'm right it. about it. He's the only guy with 3,000 hits. To be a full-time man. Frank, Frank, yeah. Frank, Frank. We're, we're, Frank, we're ish around here. If you're close, it's good. If it sounded good. If you're close, good. we it give sound, it to it you around here. It sounded And you said it with New York force, so who the hell am That's I right. to say no? No. <laughs> Hey, man, I pre- I know, hey, you just did three hours. I appreciate you coming on, man. And now I got great. a conference great call, Thank and now I got a Zoom great. conference call. We spend our life on Zoom, for crying out loud. I want to go back to old school, just on the phone. Are you on, 
Are you on around there the horn go. today? Tune in five o'clock Eastern time. Watch me lose. Yeah. The great Frank, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, hey, is that fixed? No, no, I just never win. That part is fixed. They, they refuse to win. That part is. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Frank. Appreciate Thank you, my it. friend. Take care. Oh, man, that's so good. That's Frank Isola. Frank, to me, is the absolute best guy to talk NBA because Frank knows it, loves it, lives it, breathes it. He's on Sirius XM Radio every morning, like 7 to 10, uh, and he's great. He is absolutely 100%. When he comes on a show, you've got a show, ladies and gentlemen. You do. Uh, all right, we come back. I got a fix. Look at this. Look at what just happened. Oh, man. I just broke my headset. How the hell do you break a headset? Only me. All right, we come back. I'll have a fixed headset by tomorrow. And uh, I've got some, you're not going to believe. You will not believe the numbers that I give you when we come back on the amount of money somebody is losing if, in fact, Major League Baseball does go on strike. You will not believe this. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. It is Don't At Me. I am Dan Dockich. I have my Elon Phoenix shirt because Elon ended the regular season on a great road trip. Went out to Hofstra, kicked the living hell out of whatever the Hofstra team name is, and then they went to Northeastern and kicked the living hell out of them. And anytime you can go 2-0 on a road trip, 2-0, 2-0, I'm all in on you. I am. We've covered a lot of ground today. We have. We have covered a ton of ground today. Frank Isola was fantastic. Bobby Carpenter was great. And don't forget, um, right now, the Combine is here in Indianapolis. And one of the interesting things about the Combine um, is a couple guys aren't going. Like, uh, Sean McVay is not going to the Combine. It is interesting because here in Indianapolis, and maybe this is how it is in your city, but here in Indianapolis, we are so big on draft capital, all right? Draft capital is what we have to talk about. We talk draft capital. We hoard our draft picks, all this kind of stuff, and that's cool. I mean, that is very cool, but I'm telling you right now, um, Robert Sala isn't going to the combine. I don't know why you wouldn't go, but hey, look, it's not for me to decide. But anyway, I just think it's interesting because everybody here at the combine Make such a big deal about it. I do a show from the Combine. I'm not doing it this year because I didn't get a booster shot. I got vaxxed, but I haven't got a booster, so they won't let me come in the building, which is really funny to me. Because let's be honest, Lucas Oil Stadium, I said this the other day, is where the Colts play. 60,000 unvaxxed or vaxxed people, none wearing masks, come in there for games. You don't have to be masked. You don't have to be vaxxed. You don't have to show anything when the Colts play a home game. So 60,000 of us are in. Now you've got a little, I don't know how many people are in there. Let's say 3,000, 2,000. And I don't have a booster, so I can't get in. I'm not going to lie to you. I ain't mad about it. I like doing my little show from my little studio. It's comfortable. But I do like going over there because a lot of NFL guys listen to my radio show in the afternoon. I didn't know it. But a lot of them come up and say hello. Mike Vrabel has in the past, different guys. What are you going to do? All right. I got to give you some information here. 
I don't knew I don't know whether or not the Major League Baseball lockout is going to be ended anytime soon. Uh, neither do you. I don't think any of us do, do we? I mean, is there any reports saying that the lockout is over? Um, I, I don't know. But what I do know is the lockout, if in fact it costs games at the start of the season or throughout the season or whatever it is, I know this. Um, I know that the lockout is going to cost a lot of people a lot of money. Let me give you one. Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve is a great player. Jose Altuve, you can make the case, is one of the great stories in the history of big league baseball. I mean, he is no feet tall. He weighs no pounds. And he is a freaking stud. And when I say stud, I mean a freaking just absolute monster of a baseball player. All right? Monster. One of the great players. He's been MVP, and he's literally that tall. And when you look at Jose Altuve, you look at a guy whose bat looks bigger than him. But Jose Altuve is one of the best players in baseball. All right. So here's what Jose Altuve stands to lose. All right. Every day of the baseball strike, Jose Altuve, if he doesn't play, if the baseball lockout happens, is going to lose $134,409 a day. Let me say that again. Jose Altuve is going to lose per day $134,409 per day. Now, let me explain this to you. If it were you or me, and somebody said you were going to lose $9 a day, you'd be pissed. You'd start doing the math. Nine times seven, that's $63 a week, right? Nine times times 10, let's say that's 10 weeks. That's 630. Let's go times 52 weeks. Six, 12, carry to one, 16. Well, well, I mean, it's crazy. If somebody told you you were going to lose $63 a week, you would be nuts. That is $3,276 a year. Just at the ass end of Jose Altuve's $134,409. What if they told you you were going to lose the $409? You'd be bat blank crazy. Insane. And I wouldn't blame you. That is today in Major League Baseball stupidity. Hey, I get it. The unions give in. I get it. You want to fight for your right to party. I get all of it. I do. I swear to God, I do. I do. I, I, I understand. But let's be totally honest here. 
Everybody's getting fat in professional sports. Everybody is out of their mind rich in professional sports if you reach a certain level. And I'm not just talking about the owners. And I'm not just talking about the players. Everybody. And when I sit here as a guy that, hey, I'm not going to lie. I make enough money to live. I make a good living. But as I sit here as a guy that is a fan, I say to myself, you're all idiots. I don't want to hear about it. I don't need to hear about it. Whatever you think should happen, God bless you. You go on and do. But when you're talking about that much money, let me give you another stupidity because I just can't get over it. I cannot get over how dumb Kyler Murray is. I can't get over it. The level of stupid, and this is two days in a row for me, I'm not sure the last time I've given you two straight days of hating on something other than professors in a pool and a freaking uh, Indianapolis star idiots. I'm not sure. But I know this. If you are negotiating in public, all right, people don't want to hear from your agent talking about you in the third person. They simply don't. If you think they do, or if your agent says they do, get another agent. Your agent should be negotiating with management behind closed doors. And when it comes to you, you should speak for you. Now, doesn't matter if the agent writes the speech. Hell yeah. Should hire a PR firm to handle this. But I got to tell you, I have had a deal with PR firms in two different situations, and they are complete idiots. Dumbasses. Dumber than dumb. Stupid. If you think PR firms are going to save the day and you have half a brain, make sure that if you are using a PR firm that you read what they write. They are incredibly stupid. Now, let me give you let me give you a today in great stuff. There is a custom study by the NFL and the Nielsen ratings people that says 208 million people watched the Super Bowl. Originally, it was reported that 167 million people watched the Super Bowl for at least one minute. But it's more than that. 206, excuse me, 208 million. Now, they do these studies based on only 6,600 households. So I got no idea. Like when I do a radio show and it's a little controversial where I'm, you know, ripping up on somebody, people always say, well, you're doing that for ratings. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been in the radio business for 15 years. It's the longest I've been in any business. I have no idea how ratings are calculated. When I say no idea... I mean, zero, none, nada. I got no idea. 
Wait, you can't go like that, right? It's some kind of sign. I'm sorry. No idea. I don't know how to make a zero sign. You woke people out there that tell me these signs are all kind of different things. You got my head exploding. I have no friend. I know none. No, I can't do it. None. I, and I really don't care. I just do a show. The only thing I care about is enough of you watching on, uh, on Twitter. So go back and refresh it all the time on Twitter so we get more views. Come on. Sean Black and my friends on the YouTube, hit Twitter. Keep it going. Need to get to 30,000. I don't know. But I got no idea. But I do know this in reading this article. So they estimate, based on 6,600 homes, they estimate that 208 million people watched on TV for at least a minute. That's awesome, man. Seriously. That's fantastic. Uh, Today in stupidity, today in stupidity, let me give you this, and I showed this to you before. Why are we subjected to stupid people leading us? Can somebody please explain this to me? And I don't think stupid people is the right answer. Tonight, we're going to get the State of the Union. I'll tell you the State of the Union. The State of the Union is why the hell are we wearing masks? State of the Union is why the hell are we wearing masks on planes? There's a big ad on a plane that says our air is cleaner than anything else. We refresh it every two minutes. Why am I sitting there with a mask on? Is that the science? The hell's the science? State of the Union is gas prices are too expensive. State of the Union is we got some war that I don't know what the hell's going on in. State of the Union is every time I go to the grocery store, it costs me 10 more freaking 10%, 20% than it ever has. State of the Union, we can't get anything from here to there. Our supply chain stinks. That's the State of the Union. That's the docket State of the Union. State of the Union is we got a president walking across a field outside with a mask on, and we're all supposed to go, hey, look. Look at Joe Biden. He's teaching us stuff. What what are we talking about? That's the state of freaking union. That's the state of my union. Your union might be different. Hey, good for you, man. Your union could be totally different. Everybody says there's a bunch of Americas. All right, this is the state of our union. Our fearless leader walking outside with a mask on where nobody's around. That's the state of our union. The state of our union is summed up in this picture. The state of our union is bullshit. We got to get back to where the state of our union is about toughness, is about helping our own. About making sure that the word inflation is never exists. People my age know. People my age know the word inflation back when Jimmy Carter was the president was an awful word and it bled into the Reagan administration. I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm neither. I'm common freaking sense. But when I hear the word inflation, people my age, they get hives. They start itching because inflation was a pain in our ass. Look, my mother, who was a school teacher, and my father, who were school teachers, they went shopping, my mom did, every other Friday, payday. If you ran out of Oreo cookies, screw you. Wait till Friday. If you didn't have enough Totino's $1 pizzas, you ate them all, screw you. You ate cheese crackers, you ate them all, we don't have any more. That's it. We're not going to Wise Way. We ain't going. And then inflation hit. Holy hell. Then it went to about half. And now what do we got? 
We got inflation. We got supply chain. And you idiots out there are going to say that I'm blaming this solely on Biden. I ain't blaming it on nobody. I would like to see Biden not use the word inflation and tell us that it's okay. That'd be wonderful. But the truth of the matter is, the supply chain started when Trump was there. The gas prices started when Biden got in. Look, it is what it is. You don't have to be married to one side or the other. But the State of the Union right now sucks. We live in the greatest country in the world. And we're following a guy that thinks he's out, he's so freaking smart that he's going to walk in a field with a mask because he thinks he's teaching us the stupidity. Just be real. Son of a bitch. The State of the Union. Well, and the dude can't, the dude is going, oh boy. You know the most nervous people are right now? People whose jobs depend on Joe Biden and his performance tonight. I hope he looks presidential. I hope he doesn't get mumbling and stumbling. Seriously, I hope so. I don't want to live in a world where America's mocked. We live in the greatest country in the world. We've got the most opportunity in the world. But why are we so full of shit? How about we stop being full of shit? 99% of the people you run into are not full of shit. When, you, when I go outside and I go downtown Indy and I walk around, you got all kinds of people. You got businessmen, you got homeless. Hell, my friend Rocky's right there on the corner. He's a veteran. He ain't full of shit. Everybody I see on TV, damn near, except for me, is full of shit. You got this side, you got that side, you got this guy hired because of this reason, you got ba 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 ba. Don't at me either. And if you're going to at me, don't be full of shit. Be a human being. That's all I always say. This dude's walking around with his mask on in the middle of a field. Jesus. In the middle of a field. We got all these politicians that hate Florida. Florida's the word. Where do they go? Florida. Do they wear masks? No. Full of shit. Kamala Harris, here to speak once, full of shit. Trump, full of shit, except at least he's got a little toughness to him. He'll stand up. Jesus. I know I probably lost my audience, but I don't care. Anyway, let's talk some fades tonight. I'm taking Nebraska plus 14 and a half on the road against Ohio State. I think Nebraska's playing well. They went into Penn State and beat Penn State by 23. Penn State had just beaten a week before. Had just beaten Michigan State at Penn State. Now, I don't know what the hell happened to Penn State. you got to look at it from both sides. But, man, oh, man, when I see what happens with Nebraska, I'll take the 14 and a half. I had a bad beat last night. I took uh, Syracuse, and I got eight and a half. The game was over. Next thing you know, they lose by nine in overtime. Oh. Look, here's the deal. I think Nebraska, for whatever the reason, is off. I'm glad they kept Fred Hoiberg. I am. I'm glad, I'm glad they kept Fred. I think Fred's a nice guy, great family, all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is this hasn't gone very well for Fred Hoiberg. But I like Fred. And if, if, if Fred Hoiberg truly is turning a corner here with, Mich- or with uh, Nebraska, then they got to go 
and they got to play this one at least close. You cannot come off of a 23-point win and then go get beat by 15 on the road if you are, in fact, turning a corner. Now, I don't know whether you are or you aren't. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Also tonight, this is interesting. Michigan State is getting four and a half. I think I saw this right against Michigan. Now, this is weird to me because Michigan, and I was an interim coach, the longer it goes as an interim coach, you would think it goes better. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. You would think it goes better. Mm-mm. No. Nope. It doesn't. And I thought Michigan looked not very good. In fact, I would argue that I think Michigan looked god-awful the other day. I thought Michigan against Illinois took bad shots. I thought they looked undisciplined. And if you do that against Michigan State, you're going to get beat outright. Now, I don't think Michigan State's great, but I think Michigan State is good enough to win this game. And a fact, I'm not even sure I would take the four and a half points in this game. I'm not sure that I wouldn't say, hey, look, just give me Michigan State straight up in this. I didn't like what I saw out of Michigan. Michigan had a nice win, a nice win against Rutgers. They played well first time out. I tell you this all the time. Sean Black and those of you on the YouTube chat, what do I tell you all the time? First time out, you play well. Whether it's coming back from an injury, whether it's an interim coach, I don't care. The first new thing you play well at. And Michigan State or Michigan played really well first night under Martelli against Rutgers. Since then, not great. They got split by Illinois, took bad shots, never got a handle defensively. I'll take Sparty coming off of a monster win. All right, hold on a second. I don't mind Sparty after a big win. I don't. Sparty beat Purdue. Sparty was reeling. I mean, let's be honest. Sparty had beaten Indiana by 15 and then lost not one, not two, but three in a row. And then I'm watching Sparty play Purdue, and it's a tough game, right? Purdue, Sparty, boop, 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 three, win, go home, play Michigan. I'll take Sparty in this one. I'll take him outright. The next one, I'm thinking about taking Wisconsin outright as well. Wisconsin and Purdue, nobody will argue that the best, most talented team in the Big Ten is Purdue, except that Purdue, if they lose tonight, is not going to win the Big Ten. Who's going to win the Big Ten? Wisconsin. Wisconsin gets a win tonight. Purdue will have lost two in a row going into a big one against Indiana. They will, have, they will be knocked out of a number one seed, maybe a number two seed conversation. And all Wisconsin has to do is win at home on Saturday, I think it is Saturday or Sunday, against a bad Nebraska team. This is for the Big Ten title tonight, at least as far as Purdue is concerned. So why wouldn't you take Purdue? Probably should. It's a two and a half point spread. Better team, more athletic team. Purdue, first time they played though. Johnny Davis lost his mind. He dropped 37 and 15. He hit big shot after big shot after big shot. What is the Achilles of Purdue? A lot of Purdue folks will tell you defensively, they're a bit of a mess against good guards. Well, a lot of people are a mess against Johnny Davis. Here's the deal. 
Go ahead. I'll get you a pen and paper. Write this down. If Brad Stevens or Brad Davison has over 17 points, Wisconsin's going to win the game. If Brad Davison has 17 or less, Wisconsin's going to lose the game. No, give me the push. Give me the push. Give me the push. Why 17? Going to be an odd thing for me to tell you, and nobody will understand this. Not one basketball guy will understand this. But Coach Knight and I used to talk about this. 15 you can get to. More than 15 is a pretty good game. Take it for what it's worth. So if he gets 17, even though it's only two points, that is a much better game than getting 15. Watch this next time. Guys will get to 15 in blowouts, but they don't get to 20. Garbage time, you get to 15. Brad Davison has 17 or more. Wisconsin wins the game. I'm going to take Wisconsin. It's going to be a crazy crowd. It's going to be a fun night in Madtown. Uh, I'll take the two and a half. The Michigan State game, I may take that just on the money line to win. Wisconsin, I got to have the points. I tell you what's a very underrated, ugly crowd. A very underrated, ugly crowd is Michigan. Michigan fans will come at you. The Maze Rage or whatever they call it, they have these sheets. They get personal with you. It'll be lively tonight. Michigan State beat the living hell out of Michigan the first time they played a few weeks ago. It's a great night of college hoops. There's a lot more games, but those three games I really and truly like. Uh, Last thing. Let me go back to something, if you don't mind. Kyler Murray. Let me ask you a question. Simple question. If you're trying to win a championship, and isn't that the goal of everyone? Like, when I draft a guy first in the draft, Kyler Murray, I want to get to a Super Bowl. Did you ever hear or have you ever heard, other than Aaron Rodgers, and he's only won one, and this might be the reason why, have you ever heard all these guys like Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning, you ever hear these guys bitching like Kyler Murray is? You ever hear these guys complaining like Kyler Murray is? You ever hear them being non-leadership type guys? Maybe all this drama is the reason that Aaron Rodgers can't win more than he has. He's great in the regular season. But when I look at young guys, and particularly young quarterbacks, I would say, hey, look, emulate guys that have won a lot. Peyton Manning. Never heard Peyton Manning talk about a contract. Tom Brady. Never heard Tom Brady talk about a contract. It's one of the reasons why I actually have some respect for Carson Wentz. I've not heard Carson Wentz say nothing. Carson Wentz, man, they have put him out there. Whoever's done it. Colts have put him out there. There's been, you know, what is the old line? They're throwing him under the bus. They're doing all these things. I've not heard Carson Wentz say a damn thing. I haven't heard Josh Allen say a damn thing. I haven't heard uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes say a damn thing. I haven't heard Justin Herbert say a damn thing. They're just going about their business. It would behoove Kyler Murray, and this really bothers me because I like Kyler Murray. I want Kyler Murray to be successful because he's a little guy. He's a different guy. He's not like the cookie-cutter quarterback. I I think he's fun. I think he's interesting. So anyway, there you go. Ryan, Dylan, cannot thank you guys enough. But as always happens, and I'm trying to get to 56 or 57, but I got to go to the bathroom. 
so damn bad. I sit in this chair for two hours. I'm an old man, young in heart, young in spirit. I don't think I look like what I look like. But I got to go to the bathroom so damn bad after sitting here drinking cups of coffee that I got to cut this thing short. I can't thank both of you guys enough. I can't thank everybody on the YouTube chat. If you want more of this, you can catch more of this at 107.5 The Fan coming up here in about two, uh, one hour at noon. Thank you, everyone. Dockage out.